Good evening. It's good to have another uh, Christmas Eve gathering. The tribe has filled the room once again, so thanks for uh, coming out. Hope you found a space. Hope you don't get booted. Uh, that's a true promise. That's a true hope. Um, but welcome back once again. We take a few minutes uh, together each year just to kind of talk through a couple things, just some devotional thoughts uh, for you as we sort of close out the Advent season and move into the Christmas time season. And so welcome, welcome back as we make that transition uh, tonight. As you can see, the scripture on the screen, we can read this together if you would. It says, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now if you're familiar with this, the first people to hear about the birth of Jesus were these shepherds who were working outside of Bethlehem on the night of His birth. And there were plenty of uh, available power structures um, to give the news to and plenty of upper level elite people groups that could have been the first to hear the news But God chose the bottom. He chose the shepherds. Men who lived their lives in the cultural and social and spiritual margins of their world. So from its beginning, the story of Jesus, and this is really a nice thing for us, the story of Jesus was something other than. It was something counterintuitive. It was very different than expected. So the angel went on to tell them, where they would find the baby and how they would recognize the location and so on. And then the scene changed dramatically. Notice what happens next. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, let's say this together, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. Perhaps a familiar passage for some of you or many of us, but I want you to notice what it says and also what it promises. It promises that there will be peace on earth. That somehow through the birth and the life of Jesus, peace will come. But the question is really like peace on earth? Like this earth? Are you talking about this earth? The shepherds had to have been thinking at least for a moment, are you serious? Peace? Here? This place? Are you talking about this earth or some other earth? What are you talking about? Peace? Because Bethlehem, as a small village, sat literally in the shadow of Herod's mountaintop palace, the Herodian. A towering reminder that your life is not your own. That you are living this borrowed existence at the tolerant hands of a sovereign empire. And in those days, peace was essentially the result of compliance. It was a day-to-day, moment-to-moment thing for many people, for the majority of people. And so when the announcement came that there would be peace on earth, their heads had to tilt just a little bit, while at the same time their hearts had to have jumped with anticipation and hope, just at the promise or even the prospect that there would be peace on earth. It can be a hard promise even for us to trust, because ours is a world that is often at war more than it is at peace. From the time that that announcement was made that there will be peace on earth, there have been roughly 15,000 wars that have framed our life on this earth. And we still fail to share God's earth with others. We still have trouble with diversity and ethnicity 
and the oneness that could exist between us all. We still struggle to live together and to see the mosaic of God's world as an expression of His glory and not something to be feared. And God's promise is that peace would rest on His world. And then there's this. Right outside of our building. Traffic. Tis the season for traffic and stress and materialism. And thank God for the policemen this year. Just standing out there risking their lives. My son and I were walking here this evening like, how have they not been hit by these people who have got to get that thing for their significant other, you know? Or just that feeling that somehow this is this can't be what God meant when He said peace on earth. But the angel did say that there is peace. There is peace. That's a good translation of that announcement, that there is peace. But what kind of peace? Jesus said something that maybe you've heard before. He said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, but not as the world gives do I give it to you. And then he said, let not your hearts be troubled, and neither let them be, what? Afraid. Part of the peace God promises is a peace between him and us. That we are not to live our lives in fear of what God will do to us, but we live our lives in response to what God has already done for us through His Son, Jesus. And there is a peace in knowing that God is for us, not against us. And there is a peace in knowing that salvation is truly here, it's truly available. And that restoration and renewal of our lives is more than possible. And that there's peace in knowing that God will never be ashamed of us. In whatever condition we find ourselves, God is always near. And that He has framed His relationship with us in mercy and grace and redemption. And part of the peace God promised is that thing that allows us to move through our lives, fractured as they may be, and with hope for the future. Now the writers of the Scriptures repeatedly claim that God was and is renewing all things. And that one day in the future there will be a new heaven and a new earth, they would say. And that everything will be repaired. And that there will be no more wars, no more tears, no more death. And the peace that God brings is the result of trusting that promise. Of kind of living with this knowledge of the future. And the peace that God brings is the result again of just believing that. To quote Theodore Parker in his prediction, his hopeful prediction of the end of slavery, when he said, I do not pretend to understand the moral universe. The ark is, long, is a long one. And from what I can see, I'm sure that it bends towards justice. Like peace comes from knowing that history is going somewhere good. And that the birth of Jesus, the coming of God to earth, God writing himself into the story, is a declaration that all is not lost and that God has not forgotten us. And that peace has come. And that peace is in knowing the future of God's good world. Peter wrote this in his letter. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be what? Diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. See, we live as though the story 
isn't finished. We live as though God has not given up. And we live in such a way that, as I like to say, that the future irritates the present. It is a life that is lived in vision and hope of things not yet seen and yet believed nonetheless. Our lives are not hemmed in by the confines of birth and death, but are forever a part of God's eternal story. And this is something we look forward to. Herbert McCabe said that the business of the church is to remember the future. Let that sink in. The business of the church is to remember the future. And that's what communion is. That's what we do every time we take it. Our congregation celebrates the communion of our Lord every Sunday. It's part of our tradition. Now we do it because it was part of the early tradition of the church. And so there you go. And Paul wrote these words about communion. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And I want you to look at that. I want you to read that again and again. The communion is essentially an announcement. It's a proclamation, though not made with words, but with behavior. We eat the bread and we drink from the cup, and in doing so, we tell this story again and again and again of Jesus' life, His death, His resurrection. And communion is the act of history-telling in this regard. Its behaviors make a statement about things that actually happened, that Jesus came and He died. We proclaim the Lord's death every time we do it. But it's also a statement of great hope of something about the future and how that future will arrive at His returning. And communion is an act of future-telling in this regard. Its behaviors make the statement about things that will happen. Paul says, until He comes. So communion has us stand as a congregation quietly between two advents. Time after time, we look over the shoulders, our shoulders to the days of Christ's first coming. And we look ahead to His promised return. And in doing so, it reshapes us into something that looks like hope. The communion is essentially a declaration of hope. And hope brings with it this kind of focus to our living, the kind that doesn't drift, but is marked by the diligence of those who know the future. And so as we wrap up the Advent season this evening in this room, as we've sung songs together, as we've had fun together, as we've eaten cookies and hot chocolate and all that together, um, one of the things we do each year is we take communion together. And in doing so, we, again, we make these statements that something has happened, but something will happen again. And so we'll do that in just a moment. And as you take communion tonight at one of these four tables, two in the front, two in the back, uh, take with you your candle as well. And as you take the bread and the juice, then you can light your candle on, on your way back to your seat. And we will sing, we'll sing together as well. But before we do that, I want us to do something um, to close out our time before we get into communion. That is nothing, it's, not, it's not new at all. It's quite old. Uh, we're going to say the creed together. And uh, I was joking as they were singing Chuck Berry. <laughs> I said, it's hard to believe, but in 20 minutes we're going to say the creed together. But welcome to CCB. And... Um, God smiles upon us in uh, pity. But 
But the creed, it'll be on the screen for you, and I'm going to get it started, and then I'm going to walk off, and it's all in your hands, and you'll say it until we're finished. But the thing about the creed is it tells the whole story of God. And the very last line, which we've made its own, uh, which we've made its own slide, and I'm just going to say what it is before we get there so you'll know, that it, you'll know that you're there, but it says, we look for the resurrection of the dead and for the life of the world to come. Now, if you're feeling like that's a solemn thing, it's not. That's quite, that's quite cause for celebration. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. So I don't know if this is appropriate or not, but when we get to that point, I would like for there to be some sort of celebration in the room. You you know what I'm saying? Because that's cause for celebration, is it not? That Christ came to remind us that history is going somewhere really good. And it includes the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. And for that, we can say amen, praise the Lord, hallelujah, etc. And so we'll say this together, and when we're finished, you, you can make your way to one of the four tables around the room for communion. If you would, please stand. And let's say these words together. We believe in one God. Thank you.